Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl Zara, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Collin in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour. Is it time to lock in gains as the market looks to snap a five-week win streak? Our invest committee is standing by to tackle just that question. Joining us for the hour, we have Bryn Talkington, Josh Brown, and Jason Snipe. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now. A bit of a mixed picture when it comes to the markets at this hour. Right now, we're seeing the Dow up just about a half a percent. The S&P up fractionally up just under a quarter of a percent. It's the Nasdaq that we're watching down a quarter of a percent. Not shown here, the small caps, the Russell 2000, the best performer out of them all, up almost one percent. And that really leads us to our conversation. Is the market... Is the rally broadening? Is that what we're seeing today? Or is this something else? And do you still stick with tech or do you try to go to these other sectors that are broadening? Josh Brown, I'm starting with you first. I actually think that we are seeing a topping out in the NASDAQ, at least short term. Uh, it's nothing to be alarmed about. If, if uh, in fact, the ball is going to be handed off and we're going to see this internal rotation, it doesn't necessarily mean the, the, the broader market has to fall or anything like that. Right. Uh, but I just think the moves that we've seen in large and even mid-cap tech have become extreme, uh, looking at trading volumes, looking at option activity, looking at RSIs. It's overheated everywhere you look. And so okay. if that were the case, it doesn't mean stop investing. It means maybe look to areas where the puck could be going next. And uh, I know a lot of people talk about that. Not that many people do it. What I've been doing actively so far since the start of the year is selling, not buying. And that's not as a prelude to any kind of like ma massive correction. I just think that there will be opportunities created. And I'm guessing most of those opportunities will be away from large cap tech community communication services and, uh, you know, and, and some of the stocks that have gotten us here so far. Take us back here, John. You said it's not alarming. Just yesterday, you said the triple Qs are out of control. Yeah, they and are. And then you list all the problems that are going on. So well, the triple Qs are not the whole stock market. No, I know, but you, you listed some of the other things, valuation, RSI. So if it's not alarming, why are you worried about those things? Well, I think the point is, if you're allocating assets, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. But when you have stocks in your portfolio that are doubling and tripling, de facto, they become a much more important part of your portfolio if you don't do anything about it. So that's really what I'm trying to say. Uh, there are areas of the market that really haven't done much. Those are worth discussing. I know we're going to talk about healthcare and biotech in a little while. That would certainly qualify. Uh, so much of our attention, though, is on this whole NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft complex and with good reason, I understand why, right. uh, those stocks have already done a lot. And some of the uh, some of the plays that trade alongside of them have gone up so much uh, that it's tough to even think about the rest of the universe of stocks. But we should start doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Brent, I want to come over to you. I also want to bounce some uh, some research off of you from HSBC out earlier today. The title still bullish on mega caps and the broadening. Uh, they say big tech's dominating. We all know that. But they also like some other sectors, consumer discretionary, industrials, consumer staples alongside with tech. What do you think about that? Can we see? 
tech continue to move higher and then also the broadening of the rally and areas like industrials hit new highs. Can that all happen at the same time? I think that, yes, it, it can. It can happen. I think that, you know, we added to RSP, which is the S&P equal weight in December, because you just had this big dispersion. And through time, the equal weight and the market cap weight tend to converge. So it's like a mean reversion trade. I think, though, as we're going into the economy still strong, the CPI print was a head fake. The BLS needs to get on the program of having owner equivalent rents not be this antiquated survey. And so I definitely think you can see a broadening out in the market. And what's interesting, if you look, Frank, at 1995, which was you know, a soft landing scenario, actually one of the sectors that did the best going into the first rate cut and then after the first rate cut was energy. And so we really like energy here. We've, we've liked energy, but I think after last year's disappointing year, energy actually tends to do very well after that post that first rate cut. I think on top of that within energy, you also have this narrative of, I think that that euphoria about everyone's gonna drive an EV. I think the reality is what we know, that's not the case. And you also have the tailwinds of that we're gonna have a supply deficit over the next few years because we're just not producing, we're not drilling, we're not investing the CapEx. So I, I like an energy play in addition to the other sectors that you mentioned as well, it's like, like an equal weight. Okay. So I definitely hope we have a, we have a broadening out. You know, Bryn, you're, you're skeptical on EVs, but you're a Tesla shareholder. We have to talk about that in depth some other time. Yeah. Um, but also, if you're saying CPI was a head fake, what could PPI be? I mean, what could that mean to this market coming up? Well, I mean, I think you want to see, like, what, what are the producers doing? But when you look at this, first of all, these numbers typically get revised over the next, the, over the next two readings. And so I think people... People reading into these prints, I think what happened is the machines were tired, the algos were tired, and they used that to just reprice and re-rate. And then obviously you saw the large caps do, do I think, quite well. And so I think we're going to continue to get a slowing in inflation, a slowing in these numbers. But you have to understand how they're calculated and not get spooked by these numbers that on the surface seem, seem hot, but underneath are just antiquated ways that the BLS um, is actually calculating the data. Snipe, how are you seeing things right now? I also want to talk to you about something that came out, uh, no, out earlier today. JP Morgan saying we saw an interrupted rotation rather than a stall of the rally. Is that possible? With, with CPI, it was just, just kind of like a brief pause, but now we're going to go back to the rally and even see the broadening, which I think most people would consider probably the best case scenario. Yeah, no, listen, I mean, obviously CPI number was, it was a disappointment, and then we heard from Goldsby uh, earlier this week about, um, you know, potential, uh, you know, the disinflation story is still very much intact. And Surprisingly I think- Surprisingly dovish, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and we'll hear from more Feds, we'll get more Fed speak the rest of this week. I think for me though, you know, when I, th when I think about the broadening out and the Russell 2000 and, and some, of the, some of the return that we've seen in small cas recently this week, um, I think it's important. I mean, again, we have to go back to November 1st and the seismic returns we've seen from then till now, I think. And then also seasonally, as we look at the later part of February, um, traditionally not a, not a great time for the market. So I could see some pullback, which I obviously we have seen with, right. with, with the print. Um, but, you know, we, we bought a lot of that uh, in, a, in the last day or so. So for me, I, th I think it's going to be very important um, looking towards the end of the quarter and going into Q2, you know, some more broadening in the markets like we've seen in industrials and transports. All right. So to your point, there 
there could be a pullback. And also to Josh's point about the triple Qs, by the way, 40% of the triple Qs just about is the Magnificent Seven. Obviously, we have earnings from NVIDIA coming up. Is that the inflection point in your mind, possibly, where maybe we see some doubt in that Magnificent Seven mega cap tech trade? So I think it, I think NVIDIA will be strong. You know, I, I mean, listen, I, I, we run out of superlatives for the name and, and what they've done, you know, over the last few years, right? So um, for me, I, I think I think the number will be strong. I think when you look at what, what the Magnificent Seven already did, I've, clearly there was some dispersion. We see Apple a laggard, right? Not really right. participating in the rally. So I think NVIDIA numbers will be important and I think they will follow through for sure. NVIDIA has added $700 billion in market cap on the heels of its biggest customers' earnings, not even its own. People don't even understand the extent to which this has now run on. So it's not that I'm concerned about the overall S&P, because I do think money coming out of these gigantic names actually favors enough other stocks in the index that we can kind of be buoyed. Um, But I am worried about the Qs because of how concentrated these names are there. So the stats that you just reeled off about how important they are to the S&P, understand that if you look at these stocks in terms of uh, the Qs, they've always been outsized. Now they're 32%. Microsoft is 9% of the Qs. Apple is 8. NVIDIA itself is 5. Amazon's 5. Google's 5. The good news is none of those stocks right now are currently overbought statistically. If you look at the, the RSIs across those names, 53, 35, 44, 59. The only overbought name in the group, of course, is NVIDIA at 78. Um, that RSI can get worked off two ways. It could pause and, and cool off, or unfortunately, it can come in. But that's what I'm talking about when I say I'm worried about the NASDAQ being out of control. That concentration has been amazing on the way up. This index has done 21% a year over the last five years, which if you know anything about historic market returns, you know is A, white hot, and B, historically unsustainable. And so that's why I'm thinking about S's and not N's when I'm looking for new things to buy right now. You know, as we're talking about the market broadening out, by the way, the financial sector hitting a 52-week high. We just showed the banner just right there a minute ago. So, Josh, it sounds like you kind of agree with what Morgan Stanley put out in a note earlier today. And, Brent, I'm going to toss this over to you. That yeah. note, the headline, very simple, it's time to start hedging. Uh, they go on to say there's greater need for need for hedges for many investors. Mega cap tech is, is crowded. And uh, if there's a sell-off, investors may be surprised by some hidden beta. Uh, agree or disagree with yep. this take? Oh, that's quick yes. Yeah, well, so, so, so you know, we're big fans of selling calls, covered calls. So you can do it in an ETF. Like to Josh's points about the Qs, you could buy JEPQ, which does the Qs and then sells calls. Or you can take your tech positions, which have run up so much, and sell some calls. And in some of these names, because there is volatility, you can actually capture some nice premium versus just outright selling them. So I think that... Right now, what we would be doing for hedging is just taking that call premium where you can get it in individual names, or if you don't want to do it individually, you can do it via ETF, because if volatility does kick in, that call premium will just get higher and add another source of income. All right. Speaking of hedging bets, uh, the Magnificent Seven stocks, they saw some sizable reductions from a number of big name investors in the fourth quarter. Our Leslie Pickers following the money on that story for us. Leslie, good afternoon. Good to see you. Hey, Frank, good to see you, too. We saw what appears to be a bit of hedge fund profit taking, maybe some portfolio rebalancing in some of those Mag 7 names during the fourth quarter. Take Microsoft, for example, Viking, Echo Street selling out a billion dollar stakes each. Yesterday's filings show Citadel and Point 72 also reducing exposure 
exposure to Microsoft, which had surged, if you recall, 19 percent during the final three months of the year. Tiger Global and D1 pairing back exposure to Meta. Amazon saw big sales from Jane Street and Viking, but Citadel and Whale Rock added to positions there. In Alphabet, we saw sizable reductions from Co2 and Tiger Global, but big increases from Millennium and Viking. Berkshire Hathaway sold 10 million shares of Apple. That, of course, sounds like a lot, but it's actually just 1% of the firm's ownership, worth roughly $174 billion at year end. Tesla, which was really the laggard of the group during Q4, got a small boost from Co2, which increased its stake. Co2, Appaloosa, Tiger Global decreasing NVIDIA, while D1 dissolved its stake completely. And then, of course, the reminder here, these are snapshots from the end of 2023. They may have changed in the six weeks since. Those who remained in names, though, like NVIDIA, Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet, likely continued to see gains from there year to date, while Apple and Tesla holders maybe a little bit more disappointed from that time period, Frank. All right, Leslie, thank you very much. Our Leslie Picker back in Inglewood Cliffs. So, Josh, you've been taking some profits from NVIDIA. Speaking of some people taking some money off the table right now, um, why take money off the table when it comes to NVIDIA now? Is it just simply profit-taking? or Because earlier you said you don't see any gain. It's not a market timing call. Yes. It, it, when you have a stock that goes up thousands of percentage points, again, De facto, it can become your entire. If no other stocks are growing at that rate, which trust me they aren't, right. then it becomes um, it takes over your whole portfolio. So it's it's tending a garden essentially. I don't I don't have a specific view on whether or not Nvidia beats on their on their quarterly earnings. I'm not in, talking to Asian suppliers about you know uh, uh, GPU shipments. So that's not what I do. Okay, what I'm saying is I'm in the name. I believed in the theme. I've been in the name for a very long time. And it's rising at a rate that it's becoming dominant, more and more dominant. I did this last May also. That also wasn't a market call. So from time to time, you have to do that with a really big winner. Or you could take, you, you know, you could have the risk just keep increasing. And I, I'm not in a place in my life, in my emotional state, where I want increased risks. Like, that's just not what I'm doing right now. Listen, you're so. amongst friends, Josh. You're that's amongst right. friends. Jason Snipes <laughs> over there. You're doing a lot of nodding to Josh's left right now. It's yeah, like, my, that's my guy. It that's looks fine. like you agree with a lot of what he's saying. <laughs> no, there's, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, really, really my takeaway is it's clearly risk management, right? Okay. So um, you're, you're talking about a stock that was up 200 plus percent last year. It's up 47% year to date. Um, and, and albeit the multiple has come in because they've been uh, obviously delivering from an earnings standpoint. So, yeah, I mean, once, once, when, this, when, this, when this name because, becomes larger and larger in your portfolio, I mean, it's just, it's just obviously portfolio management, it's prudent, and you should be trimming the edges here. Now, here's why investing is so hard, because that's all great advice. Um, but had you done that with the biggest winners throughout history, Correct. every single time you've done the quote-unquote prudent thing, you feel like a clown. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, I sold a thousand shares of that in 2017. What? What why, was I doing? Why do they do that? That's that's why this isn't easy. No, it's certainly yeah. not easy. That's why there's yeah. no like right there's answer. No like, should you trim the biggest winner in your portfolio or let it ride? I don't know. I'll tell you two years from now. Yeah, yeah. you know, I always quote Bassani, You cannot time the market. You just can't right. do it. So, Brent, I want to come over to you. Uh, Jason yeah. Snipe already answered. Is NVIDIA, is that the next big test of this market? We just mentioned, again, uh, the large concentration of the MAG7 stocks in both the S&P and the triple Qs, 40% of the triple Qs. I don't think it's a test at all. I mean, really? all of the hyperscalers 
are, are, are spending billions of dollars buying NVIDIA's chips. And I, I just think it's so interesting, like AMD, like Lisa Sue's great, she's gonna continue to crush it, but like AMD's revenues beat by 5% earnings estimates. I mean, NVIDIA, it's NVIDIA's world and we're just all living in it. They're gonna continue to be the recipient of billions of dollars of spend. And to me, the question, how much are they gonna crush it by? I saw UBS raised, raised their, their revenues and guidance. A ton of companies have raised going into February 21st. I just think longer term outside of NVIDIA and, and SMCI, which okay. also has doubled their revenues and earnings, we've got to see these other companies actually start to generate real returns. And right now it's just NVIDIA. Well, Britt, really quick, I, I wanna ask you, is it a double-edged sword? You mentioned the hyperscalers placing a lot of orders, but yeah. they're also making their own chips. And while that's not gonna impact NVIDIA, you know, this coming quarter, the quarter oh. after that, doesn't that change the long-term outlook for a stock mm -hmm. like this? I don't think so. I mean, maybe they buy their own chips on the margin, but NVIDIA is not going to stop innovating. And so if you just understand what NVIDIA is doing and how they're innovating, they're so far ahead. And I think these companies, like Apple has their own chip, they will continue to innovate internally. NVIDIA is just so far ahead. And by the way, I don't think there's enough bandwidth to make all of these chips that these companies are designing right now. Josh? Hey, hey Bryn, do you worry at all, though, that all of the positives and all of the expectations have been ratcheted up so much in such a compressed period of time that all of the bulls could be right on the AI, AI opportunity for the 2020s decade, but maybe be like a little bit ahead of it. And I mentioned this because you talked about Lisa Sue. One of the things she did on the AMD earnings report is she took the annual estimate of what the TAM is for uh, AI uh, chips, and she went from 150 billion uh, annual to I think 400 billion. Four. Mm -hmm. And and I, of course, Nvidia went up on that news, as did a lot of other stocks. But it's like, is is 400 billion likely to be ratcheted up to 600 billion? Like probably not. I so think that, that that's I think I that, get concerned a little bit. Yeah. When, when when I hear people talking Tam, uh, that and no disrespect to Lisa Sue, but in general. Peloton talked about TAM yep. three years ago, right? It's just a made up, it's just a made up number, okay? It's a made up number. And so I go by, uh, like three quarters ago, Jensen Wong said, the data center rebuild from CPU to GPU will be a trillion dollars over 10 years. To me, what's concerning outside of NVIDIA and SMCI that I actually see the revenues and earnings beat is to your point, Josh, everyone's pulling forward 10 years of, 10 years of future potential earnings and revenue growth into stock appreciation in 2023 and 2024 because the market never changes. It's the same thing. We will turn rational optimism into a rational exuberance. We do it every single time. Yep. All right. Uh, important to note right now, NVIDIA shares down almost one and a half percent, a lot of mega cap tech names in the red right now. Um, you know, speaking of mega cap tech, I think we got to talk about Apple. Everybody here on the desk owns it. What is going on? Uh, a lot of news about Berkshire Hathaway trimming their position. In all fairness, it's only 1%. But in general, we've seen Apple be the laggard out of these magnificent seven stocks. Jason, you're nodding once again. What do you think's going on? So I think, you know, a couple things. One is uh, their report wasn't bad, right? Um, they, we've been looking at a couple of quarters of decreasing revenue growth. Obviously, revenue growth was up uh, about 2%. Um, also, you know, services, services growth was in low uh, double digits, but was was decent. You know, China, China, China yeah. struggled. China was down 13 um, percent. 
it's a mature company. I mean, and we, we talk about this sometimes when Apple becomes a source of funds is the, the multiple, right? It's trading at 27 times. It's only got a 9% growth rate. Um, you know, supply chains in China maybe are troubling, um, troublesome, I should say, and, and China potentially in a, in a recession, right? So, um, but Apple, Apple's a behemoth. They're, they're increasing supply chains in other parts of the, of the globe. Um, you know, and for me, you know, iPhone growth is up 6%. It's still, it's still a staple for us in terms of a mainstay, in terms of a holding. Um, but there are other names in the Magnificent Seven that we're more bullish on. So, Brent, over to you. You also own yeah. Apple. Um, you know, in the red year to date, hard to believe a company like this in the red. Um, do you think there's something wrong? Or is, is are some of the, the problems with China um, and some yeah. other issues, are they possibly just overblown? No, I mean, this is, this is, a, this is an awesome company. Here's, here's the bottom line. This is why active managers continuously underperform the Qs and the S&P 500. Because if you're an active manager and you have an oversized position to Apple, well, guess what? NVIDIA is just getting bigger and bigger, or Microsoft getting bigger and bigger. And so Apple's a mature, to your point, Frank, a mature company. It's taking a breather. But right now, everyone is, the computers and individuals are flowing into anything that is AI, specifically AI. And listen, the Vision Pro is fine, but it's not AI, and so money is not flowing into Apple right now. It will. It's a wonderful company, but I think that ultimately that's why you want to go back and say, I want to have exposure to the Qs and maybe Apple on the side, because at the end of the day, the, like, like this year, the NVIDIA, we're all in NVIDIA's world. And so I wouldn't read into anything with Apple except it's taking a breather after a banner 2023. I almost yeah. feel like this is an annual event. What's wrong with Apple? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how could it not be? It's one of the most, it is the most widely held stock. Let me save everybody a ton of You already told us you're not talking to Chinese suppliers. So what are you going to add? All right. Apple is the only name of the, uh, take te- I don't even consider Tesla part of this conversation. Of the tech mega caps, Apple's the only one that's below its 50 and 200 day. Um, it's got the lowest RSI of the group and uh, technically looks the worst and fundamentally feels like right now it has the most like uh, negatives swirling in the atmosphere. Okay. And use negatives with a grain of salt because Apple is like very close to its all-time high and it's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. The story on Apple is really that this is a company that needs its next wave of innovation. A lot of people were hoping that the, the Vision Pro, which nobody of course thought would come anywhere close on revenues to the phone, would at least be like the light at the end of the tunnel. But now we have this predictable spate of headlines where, oh wait, it's a flop. And then they'll say, now they're saying people are returning it. Then people are saying, oh, actually it gives you like migraine headaches. And then they're gonna say, oh, it heats up, and if you put a slice of bread and cheese in between two Vision Pros, you can make a panini. And it, but it's like, one, it's like this predictable thing. And then, listen to me now. The first or second week of June, they'll do the Worldwide Developers Conference. Right. They've been doing that since 1983. It'll be like the 41st version of this. And all of a sudden, they'll have new things to offer. The stock will start to you know, sniff out a bottom. Tim Cook's also teasing AI announcement. Yeah, they might even have a yeah. Vision Pro 2 <laughs> announcement by then. Uh, that's how quickly things move. Bottom line is, though, is this a buy-the-dip moment? I'm not Apple? a bottom line guy. I finish when I finish. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> 
the stock will sniff out a bottom around the, around the Worldwide Developers <laughs> Conference, and then we'll be into the next iPhone event, which is always September. And by then, you'll all of a sudden, you'll start to see the buyback kick in, the new growth wave, et cetera, et cetera, and all these conversations about, is Apple in trouble? We'll do it again next year. So Listen, that's, I, that's I, I think we're over at Ritholtz. You're a bottom line guy. It's all about the bottom line over there. But on a serious note, first time anybody said Panini on halftime. Made history. <laughs> Won't be the last, Frank. Speaking of Apple, a new story hitting CNBC Pro right now. A top technician looking into the company's failed technical breakout. Check it out at cnbc.com slash pro. Let's now get back to our, our market action, watching the markets in our chart of the day. It is Shake Shack having its best day in nearly four years after strong quarterly results and guidance. Josh, somehow, some way, we're coming back to you on this. <laughs> you, have to under, you have to understand, you have to understand, like, I, these are seeds that I have been planting. Like, what's going on this week for me is part, like, it's crazy. Uh, Uber, CrowdStrike, NVIDIA, Shake Shack. I'm not a good trader, like short-term trader. These are all long-term investments. Do you know when I bought Shaq? When? 2014. And you didn't sell. That's 10 years ago. I remember, I remember 20 years ago being like a frustrated uh, retail stockbroker. Everyone's having all the success. And my father sent me a card to cheer me up. And all it said was, outlast the bastards. That's it. That's all I've ever done. That's all I've ever done. We're, you know how many, we're making too much history here, Josh. You, you got to slow it down. Do you know how many today? downgrades I've been on the show about Shake Shack all this time? Like, oh, cuts to neutral, lowers price target. Just, I, I just outlast. That's all I do. It's all I've ever done. I've been here before these people. I will be here after they're gone. Shake Shack now approaching $100 a share. Uh, biggest winner in the market today. Um, it's nothing special. It's just a company that eventually figured it out. And look at this earnings okay. growth. Look at the store growth. It's and look working. at the stock move right here, up more than 23%. All right. Coming up, our calls of the day. The trade zone, Blackstone, FedEx, and CrowdStrike. We have ownership in all of them. We'll debate how to play them. That's coming up next on Halftime. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started.
And welcome back to halftime. Let's get to our calls of the day. Morgan Stanley calling Blackstone one of the best plays in the golden age of private credit. What a title there. The bank saying Blackstone looks compelling globally and is well positioned for growth. Shares are up right now over 1%. And Jason, you just bought Blackstone last week. I did. I, I think uh, private equity is really interesting uh, right now. Um, Blackstone raised $53 billion uh, in equity uh, last quarter, $25 billion the quarter prior, and they have $200 billion, which is a record for them, um, in dry power to deploy. So I think, I think there's an opportunity as well in private credit as, as, as clients and investors look to diversify um, you know, from, from an asset, asset standpoint. So I like this one, and I think, there's, I think they're poised to move. So, Brent, I know you have a lot of exposure to private uh, equity and private credit as well. What do you think about Jason's buy? Yeah, I think it's a, a really smart buy. If you think since the global, the great financial crisis, all of the ways the traditional financials used to, the finance companies, the banks used to make money have now been switched to the private equity firms, whether they're private credit, private equity, real estate. These big firms are doing that underwriting. And so I think if you think about what Jason said, 53 billion they raised, they won't get 2% management fee with a 20% carry over time. They're just printing cash. And so I think within financials, people need to look outside the traditional banks and look to a company like a Blackstone, which also I think has like a 3% dividend as well. So I think it's a really smart play for the next few years as they capture that 2% and 20, which goes right to the bottom line. All right, Josh, you have some exposure as well with Carlisle. Yeah, I said the other. So the the funny thing about the golden age of private credit is that's actually an internet meme that they made the title of the research report. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, this is what like uh, twenty-eight-year-old guys that work at like these firms walk around at cocktail parties, and that's how they that's how they're picking up girls these days. Did I, you know, did I? Did, can I tell you that right now is the golden age of private credit? Uh, it's a it's an Instagram thing. But bigger picture, I agree with Jason, and I do think that there is opportunity in these stocks because the allocations in wealth management and family office that are going increasingly toward alternatives are probably not stopping anytime soon. And these are the best of the best. Uh, I happen to own Carlisle, which is not as large as KKR and Blackstone. But from my perspective, that's the opportunity. I think Harvey Schwartz being the new CEO there, someone who's got a tremendous amount of experience and contacts all over Wall Street, is set to make a splash and uh, has something to prove. And I think that Carlisle is really well positioned alongside Blackstone. All right, shows of Carlisle up just over a half a percent. We want to move on to FedEx now. Re reiterated as a buy by Deutsche Bank. The firm admits it expects another tough quarter for FedEx, but it still sees a sizable opportunity. Jason, you're in on this one. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was a tough quarter, obviously, the last quarter. And, and you know, the price action hasn't been great over the last three months. It's down around 7%. It was down around 12% after earnings, right? So new management team, recommitment to shareholder value there. Um, I think e-commerce and the consumer are going to be tailwinds for, for them going forward. Um, so, you know, I think you got to stay tuned. Industrials continue to break out. I think FedEx is one of these ones that you got to just be patient with. Other side of the coin, headwind, you already cited the slowdown in China. They're heavily yeah. levered to China. So concerned Absolutely. about that at all? No, no, there's definitely concern there. But I, but I think as, as it relates here to the states, you know, with e-commerce re-accelerating, you see the Amazons the world and the other retail players, um, I think, okay. I think you you have to just be patient with this one. All right. Last, certainly not least, we're going to go to CrowdStrike. Oppenheimer removing it from its top ideas list. By the way, CrowdStrike hitting a new all-time high today at the same time. Josh, you're in on this one. Actually, shares down a bit right now, down almost 1%. But Josh, what's your take? 
So I bought this in November of 2020. It's up like a lot. And, uh, you know, this is a great example of outlasting the bastards because this stock got absolutely creamed in 2022. But now look, like the, the market has changed around. Three months returns, 60%. Six months, 120%. One year return, 187%. Why? It's not magic. This company's growing its revenue faster than almost any other company in the entire software group, doing so profitably, not even in the S&P 500 yet, because they spent most of their time as a public company unprofitable and therefore not even considered for inclusion. Now it's been discovered. People are like, oh, wait, it looks like cybersecurity enterprise spend is not at risk because, oh, my God, it could shut down an entire company if they get breached or hacked. Yeah, you figured that out today? So a lot of people have been riding Palo Alto and CrowdStrike and Fortinet. There are a lot of winners in this group. I think they keep winning. It doesn't mean they go up in a straight line. So I would not be a fresh money buyer of the stock right this second, but I'm also not a seller today. Yeah, big tailwind for the stock. Also, new SEC regulations on reporting cybersecurity. Yeah, public incidents. companies, ha public companies yeah. now literally have to demonstrate uh, what they're going to do about breaches. And if a breach happens, they have to be talking about it with officials within like 48 hours. CrowdStrike is going to implement that and do that work. It's just one more tailwind for a company that's got tons of tailwinds already. All right, time now for our headlines. We got our Pippa Stevens with those. Pippa, good afternoon. Hey, Frank. Well, Kansas City police said this morning that yesterday's shooting at the Super Bowl parade appeared to have been a dispute between several people that turned into gunfire. Police Chief Stacey Graves also said two juveniles were arrested in connection with the shooting that left one person dead and at least 21 others injured. Links to homegrown extremism or terrorism have yet to be found. A Justice Department watchdog found that the Bureau of Prisons failed to prevent almost 200 suicides over the span of eight years. A new report released today found that there were many operational and managerial failings, including chronic staffing issues that created unsafe conditions that led to many of the deaths they reviewed that it also found could have been prevented. Target is launching a new in-house value brand called Dealworthy later this month in an effort to compete against value retailers like Amazon Basics and attract new customers. And it features a range of products from phone chargers to even underwear that will cost under $10. Everyone, Frank, loves a bargain. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that level of detail, Pippa, but thank you very much. <laughs> it's good to know. Our Pippa Stevens back at CNBC headquarters. Pippa, thank you. All right, coming up next, biotech's big run, the sector gaining 30% in the last three months. The committee debates if that rally has more upside ahead. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. Wolf Research making the bull case for biotech this morning, saying there's more upside for the group. They write, after a 30% move over the past three months, a breather was well-deserved, but there are signs for a reacceleration. Wolf is eyeing a breakout move above 94 bucks for the XBI Biotech ETF. And Jason, your 2024 contrarian pick, yeah. it was biotech. Absolutely, man. And it's it's been a nice run, obviously, yeah. over the last three months. And you you just spoke to the return. Um, for me, you know, as, a, as it relates to biotech, you know, I think part of the run was, you know, a lot of discussion from Fed, some dovish, dovish discussion, uh, rhetoric, I should say, from, from the Fed, later part of November, and you saw this seismic run. Um, there's a lot of R&D and, and, you know, expensive, when the cost of capital are high, you know, it could be very expensive to, to kind of grow these companies, right? right? So, um, you know, I, I think with, with the Fed moving, in a, again, we're talking about higher for longer for, for, for the interim. Um, but I think in the second half of the year, you'll see some more interest rate cuts. And I think right. you'll continue to see biotech springboard. So there. you're looking at interest rate cuts. What about the other side of the coin, AI and creating efficiencies, getting drugs to market faster? We had a, a guest on a really great show. You guys may have heard of it, Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. <laughs> 6 a.m. weekdays. Good show. My favorite. Um, we had a great guest on saying yeah. that uh, the pharmaceuticals and biotech, that's one area that's going to see the most disruption from AI, at least in the near term. I think I think AI is going to disrupt a lot of industries, but I think healthcare is prime for for some of that disruption because there's a lot of inefficiencies in healthcare, and I think from a productivity standpoint, I think they're poised for that for that type of run. I, I would say, like biotech has been through an incredibly poor stretch over the last five years of market underperformance, and maybe that's one of the best reasons to take another look right now. Uh, you've got very low sentiment around these names, even with the recent rally. The last five years, the IBB, which I think is like the, the primary way people think about the index, uh, has returned about 4%. That's versus an SPY doing 15% over the same stretch. The Q, as I mentioned before, 21%. That is significant underperformance, and it's not as though that came along with like a better sharp ratio. Uh, you actually had more volatility and worse returns, which is a toxic cocktail for investors, and they don't come back for a second round. Um, but that, again, that's why these okay. stocks, I think, are set up for a fresh look, because it doesn't stay that way forever. Our XBI almost a, a percent higher right now. Important to note, though, it's still well off of its high back in February of 2021 of about 164. All right, coming up, the Bitcoin breakout, the digital currency hitting a 14-month high. But one key part of the market is just sitting out on this crypto comeback. Our Kate Rooney is following all the money for us. That's coming up next on Halftime. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Crypto rallying again today with Bitcoin hitting its highest level since December of 2021. Let's get to our Kate Rooney with much more on the big breakout. Kate. Hey, Frank. Yeah, so there's something slightly different about this run-up we've seen in Bitcoin. It is notoriously a retail-driven market, so based on individual traders. But some new data suggests that could be changing. Vanda Research pointing out that institutional investors may have been they call the main culprits behind recent crypto moves. They note that there has not been a major surge of retail flows, even as the prices run up. And then you've got Glassnode, meanwhile, saying that exchange flows have hit 
the highest levels are the equivalent of the peak of the 2021 bull market. The average size of value transfer, they say, is highlighting a growing presence of institutional and large capital investors in crypto. Bitcoin ETFs were really touted as this way to bring in more institutions. They've seen pretty strong inflows as well. BlackRock, the winner so far in that group, $4.6 billion in inflows. Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF has been seeing net outflows as investors rebalance, but that has stabilized and is helping the market. Other price drivers out there include this market dynamic known as the halving. So it's where the new supply of Bitcoin essentially gets cut in half. It happens every four years. Bitcoin has also been breaking through some key resistance levels. One big number around $48,000. Crypto proxy stocks also getting a boost from all of this. Coinbase reports earnings later today. JP Morgan upgrading that name this morning, pointing to better earnings power. Frank, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you very much. Our Kate Rooney, live in San Francisco. So, Brandon, coming over to you, you got a lot of crypto exposure. Uh, you own the Grayscale, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and also the Grayscale Ethereum Trust. Um, one thing I, I kind of noted from Kate's uh, report there is that the outflows, the outflows when it comes to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, concerns about that at all? Yeah, well, I mean, I have a, a small amount of exposure. And okay. so I think, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately IBIT, from a fee perspective, if they're all owning the underlying, the flows are going to go to where it's cheapest. So I think long term, grayscale or short term is going to have to reduce that fee, right? Because only so many people are going to hold it because of gains. And I think that, you know, Bitcoin could be 100,000 or it could be 25,000. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I think people view Bitcoin as digital gold, which I get that. Outside of that with the other coins, I would really like to see some use cases come to fruition that we can all look and see and say, hey, yeah, that's a great use case um, that we're seeing. But I get Bitcoin being digital gold. I think we'll continue to be an asset class that institutions with the comeuppance of the ETF are going to feel comfortable allocating to. Yeah, uh, some great points there, Brennan. To your point, right now, Bitcoin trading at about 52000 All right, coming up, we're trading more of the day's big movers. But first, our Mike Santoli joins us next with his midday word. Halftime, back right after this. And we are back on the Halftime Report. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. So, Mike, we were talking a little bit earlier. Um, hard not to see right now. Small caps outperforming everybody else up almost one and a half percent. And that's with uh, rates right now above four percent at the same time. Normally, they're pretty interest rate sensitive. Yes, um, I think at certain thresholds, they probably would be more interest rate sensitive. So what we've done is over two days regain most of what was lost in the one day Tuesday, like down five percent in the Russell 2000. So partly the rotation toward the majority of stocks and away from the handful of big winners has resumed on some level. So I think you can say you, the CPI number did really upend the overall picture of economic resilience, disinflation. You know, we're going to wait and see before deciding that game is over. The other piece of it, though, is that at the very top of the Russell 2000 is a stock called Supermicro, which is now 1.6 percent 
of a 2,000 stock index. And uh, MicroStrategy is number two. So the, the Russell 2000, sure, it's broad, it's economically sensitive, it's a lot of financials. It's also some of the craziest momentum stocks in the world. This is going back to 2021 when GameStop and AMC were literally moving the Russell 2000 every day. So it's not the whole story. It, you know, they're only together 2% of the Russell 2000, Supermicro and, and uh, MicroStrategy. But you have to be aware that you're not just seeing the salt of the earth, old economy stocks move when the Russell's the AI moving to fairy these sprinkles days. Some, exactly. It's yeah. like, uh, like Salt Bay, little and, AI. And Supermicro is, Russell, is massively <laughs> over, overgrown at this point for, for the Russell. It's a $50 billion market cap. I mean, put, it's put it's, it in, it's put coming it, out of there. Put it in the Dow. First opportunity. Right. Move it up. Mike Santoli with right. Midday Work. Mike, thank you very much. All right, coming up, two big winners and two big losers in today's session. We have halftime coming back right after this break. Stay with us. We are back on the Halftime Report. Let's trade two big winners and two big losers. First, on the downside, Twilio lower on weak Q1 guidance and Penn also lower on earnings. But then on the upside, JFrog jumping on strong guidance, pun intended. And Live Nation getting a pop thanks to who else? JLo. She's doing a 30-plus city tour that Live Nation is producing. Josh, you own Live Nation. Uh, I do. And that's just one of like many major things happening for the company this year. Uh, Luke Combs is going around the country. I'm going to see Drake in April at uh, UBS. Uh, Pearl Jam just put out notification. That's going on sale at the end of February uh, for later dates later this fall. Like Live Nation is the place where Americans uh, transact in order to have these one of a kind experiences. They have the venues. They have the ticketing. It all works really well for the most part. And when there are issues like there were last summer with Taylor Swift, they get resolved. And you need a big company with great technology in order to resolve those things. And so that's why this company is such a unique asset. I'm an investor. I believe in Michael Rapino's strategy. And uh, I'm not a seller. I think the stock keeps going higher. Like your boy Drake said, Michael Rapino boosted my ego. Yeah, that's you know true. That that's true. <laughs> yeah, so how, right. So how many CEOs get name dropped in a Drake song? There are not that many. Few and far between. But more Few these days between. than you'd have seen years back. All right. Uh, also important to know, Live Nation shares up almost 4% right now. Final trades are coming up on halftime. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. And we are back on Halftime, and we have a big interview coming for you uh, to you later today. BlackRock's Rick Reeder will be live on Closing Bell. So much to discuss with him following this week's CPI print and today's week retail sales report. You want to make sure you catch that interview at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Again, Rick Reeder of BlackRock on Closing Bell. All right, now time for final trades. Brent. You're up first. Yeah, pull out your 1995 playbook when the first rate cut wasn't recession-induced. Recession um, I like energy, plus you have tons of M&A, plus you have high free cash flow yield. I like RSPG, it equal weights 25 names, so you don't have so much reliance on Chevron and Exxon like you do in XLE. Jason Snipe. Cardinal Health, really strong demand for their generic 6% free cash flow yield. I like this one. Josh? Shaq growing revenue by 11 to 15 percent, according to the company's guidance, and open 80 new restaurants this year, staying long. 
All right, those are the picks. Uh, important to note, NASDAQ, very close to being flat. It was briefly higher a short time ago. That is it for halftime. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.